And a good afternoon to you. I'm Al Cresta. Joining me right now is Dr. Rodney Stark. He's one of the leading authorities on the sociology of religion. For many years, uh, the Pulitzer Prize-winning nominee was uh, professor of sociology and professor of comparative religion at the University of Washington. In 2004, he became distinguished professor of the social sciences and co-director of the Institute for Studies of Religion at Baylor University. He's the author of more than 150 scholarly articles and 32 books, including most recently, America's Blessings, How Religion Benefits Everyone, Including Atheists. And Dr. Stark, it's good to have you back. Thanks. I'm delighted to be with you, Al. We hear time and again that America is going through a period of uh, uh, going through secularization, that religious ideas, influence, institutions are being pushed to the margins of life. The reason for that, uh, the reasons for that, I guess, are complex. But one of the reasons, at least from the ideological point of view, is the belief that somehow religion is divisive, that it's not good for the social order, and that it's best to keep it kind of caged in on the sides of public life. First of all, is America becoming a secular country, and is that ideological, or is that just a fact of social experience? No, we're not becoming secular nation. Uh, all of the noise is in a very small number of people who happen, of course, to be in the media or sitting around in the faculty lounges. Uh, actual church membership that is belonging to a local congregation is at an all-time high, 70%. In 1776, which most people think would have been more religious than now, that was 17%. Uh, <laughs> come a long way. But what's, what's, one of the things that has gone on is that uh, the few people have reported that there's been an increase in the uh, percentage saying they have no religion. Now, the few people are good, honest reporters, and they also point out, although the press tended to ignore it, that these people who said they had no religion, uh, most of them believed in God. Most of them prayed. <laughs> right. They just didn't go to church. Right. Uh, that's a big difference. Uh, the, Gallup asked about God in 1944. Do you believe in God? And 4% of Americans said no. Most recent number is 4% say no. There's been no change in that. Wow. And uh, as, as for this no religion, if they'd asked if people if they were Christians, probably the great majority would have said yes. They asked them if they were Presbyterians or Protestants or Catholics, and these people said no. Mm -hmm. uh, that's different from saying uh I'm, you know, I'm an irreligious person. Yes, that's right. That's right. But so why the media take this view, I don't know. And that upset me enough, so I wrote this book largely to crack down on people who claim that religion is a burden, that it, the churches are not on the tax rolls, and that we deduct our religious donations from our income tax, and, you know, all of these terrible, terrible things that religion is doing to point out that the fact that the majority of Americans are religious makes America safer and more pleasant for everyone. Uh, and we save billions of dollars a year in taxpayer money as well because of all the charitable giving and, uh, and all of the volunteerism. And uh, perhaps above all, the much, much lower crime rate that we have in this country because people are religious. What is, what is the uh, story there? What's the evidence that uh, well, high religiosity you know, it, leads it, to it, less crime? It, it, yeah, well, you know, I'm sure you grew up as I did 
knowing that America was a crime-ridden society. <laughs> right. uh, and the reason we thought that, we, we were the only people in the world who published crime statistics. <laughs> we knew how many robberies there were and how many burglaries, <laughs> and there were a lot of them. So we said, oh, woe is us, and how, how awful. And somehow it was those nice Europeans don't do things like breaking into one another's houses. And then about the 1980s, the Europeans started collecting crime data. And lo and behold, their crime rates are much, much higher than yeah, ours. Yeah. I know in England uh, that's the case. Burglary rate is twice as high in most European uh, nations uh, than it is in the U.S. And the same is true of assault and a theft. And there again, because our rate is so much lower, because people who go to church are much less likely to do these things, mm-hmm. uh, everybody's benefited. I mean, you know... You, uh, you can be a militant atheist, but you benefited from the fact your house wasn't broken into last night. Yeah, exactly. exactly. My and, guest uh, is Dr. Rodney Stark. He's the author most recently <laughs> of America's Blessings, talking about the uh, how religion benefits everyone, including atheists. So crime is one area. Now, how is it? I mean, I know there's a common sense observation here that if a person believes in God, that they're going to be more likely to have a high view of one's neighbor, I guess, in that they also have a higher view of the moral law. Is that the reason there's less crime? Yeah, largely. And, of course, morality is social. And if you hang out with a bunch of people who believe in morality, who think it's wrong to do things, Mm -hmm. who don't think it's nifty to have stolen something or uh, uh, done other things like that, you're much less likely to do it, and you have some sense of morality. Uh, you know, what I've done here, by the way, uh, these, these aren't my opinions. There's an enormous body of research, I mean a gigantic body of research, on issues concerning comparisons between religious and non-religious people. And what, I've really, what I'm really talking about when I say religious people is Americans of any faith who attend a religious service pretty much weekly, okay. comparing them with people who never go. And then the, the assumption is, what would happen if people all everybody stopped going and started behaving, all of us, like the people who never go? Mm-hmm. And the answer is, why well, the crime rate would, 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 would double or trouble, yeah. because religious people really, really don't end up in prison very often. I mean, you know, sometimes they do, but... But the the point is that uh, the probabilities are very, very different. Yeah. We, I mean, we all know celebrated cases of corrupt clergy and all of that business. Sure. But generally speaking, uh, a person who uh, is religious enough to attend a religious service once a week, uh, that type of person is less apt to commit crimes. Is that fair way of putting it? That's right. And, you know... Leaving aside the enormous monetary benefit that that comes from that, and we're talking about hundreds of billions of dollars saved in police and jails and courts and all the rest of it, but just think and insurance. But just think of the human suffering sure. that is spared because of it. I mean, there's a way in which the money doesn't really count compared to uh, the tremendous benefits of not being assaulted, not being raped, not having your house broken into, and all your 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 old family treasures thrown on the floor and whatnot. It's uh, you know these these are these are big things. Yeah. No, I, uh, I agree. And of course, it goes to even to what might even seem trivial. 
the people who go to religious services regularly overwhelmingly are the people who donate their blood. Hmm. That, that benefits everybody. Yeah. Or if you walk around a hospital, you notice all these volunteers making beds and pouring coffee and doing all these good things. Those are overwhelmingly church people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and partly, of course, it's because churches can organize to do these things. I mean, you know, you uh, churches are organizations that, that that are geared for this kind of uh, service, and, mm-hmm. and, and and it makes a difference too. Yeah. yeah. In financial giving, are religious people more uh, generous? Do we know? Very much more. So. And we've heard. I've heard the. You know, the nasty remark, well, they only give to, you know, their church. Yeah, that's right. It's true. If you take purely secular charities, uh, the overwhelming majority of the money is coming from people who go to religious services frequently. Um, And, uh, you know, it just goes on and on and on. Uh, For example, uh, um, the kids do better in school, partly because they're better behaved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, religious people have happier marriages, less divorce. Is that, and, not, why, is that simply because of a, the sense of uh, the sacredness of a vow, or because they've learned better how to exercise forgiveness? or What is it that... Well, I think it's a whole bunch of things. First of all, I think that they make better marriages in the first place. To begin with, yeah. Okay, so the yeah. selection process I mean, I, I is better. I think that these are people who... Uh, who understand more clearly what marriage means, yeah. uh, who go into it uh, uh, intending to make it work and to men- intending to uh, to have a married life and to have a family. And by the way, that's part of one of the things that probably enters in. They're more likely to have children. Yes. Uh, considerably more likely to have children. And, uh, you know, these things all fit together. It's, it's called family. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, here's the one that I think will probably upset people at the New York Times and whatnot the most, is that married couples who go to religious services regularly have more satisfactory and happier sex lives than do people who never go to church. (laughs) I've heard that before. (laughs) You know, I mean, I was very surprised when I saw it, but there are, you know, there are a whole bunch of studies and it comes out every time. Yeah. Same is with that, mental health and physical health. Well, is, uh, back to the satis- satisfactory and, uh, sexual relationship with one's spouse. Is that simply because uh, the, the one is more attentive uh, to the needs of the spouse, uh, that the relationship is more stable and therefore one's able to relax and enjoy the experience better? Well, I, I think it's, you know, I think it probably is part and parcel of a good marriage yeah. that these people... Uh, uh, are working at making the relationship good, yep. uh, and that that probably comes into to openness and uh, and sensitivity uh, in, in in the areas of intimacy. Sure, sure. Uh, and and of course, something else: they're much much less likely uh, to be committing adultery. Yes. Hold it there, uh, Doctor Stark. We'll come back and continue conversation. Doctor Rodney Stark, my guest. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me, Dr. Rodney Stark. He is uh, currently uh, 
distinguished professor of the, of the social sciences and director of the Institute for Relig- uh, Studies of Religion at Baylor University, the author of 32 books, including uh, The Triumph of Christianity, uh, How the Jesus Movement Became the World's Largest Religion, uh, God's Battalions, The Case for the Crusades, uh, The Victory of Reason, How Christianity Led to Freedom, Capitalism, and Western Success, and most recently, America's Blessings, How Religion Benefits Everyone, Including Atheists. We were talking earlier about the uh, uh, benefits of uh, religious people, meaning those who attend a religious service once a week, and that uh, there's less crime, there's more generosity, uh, there's uh, greater satisfaction in physical intimacy in marriage. And you also mentioned that fertility is important here. Now, I want to stay with this a little bit because as you begin that chapter, you say Europe is disappearing not just Western Europe, but the whole continent. Go ahead, tell me more. Well, most European countries, probably all Western European countries, have fertility rates that are well below replacement. Uh, And what that really means is in a century and a half or three quarters, uh, there won't be any Swedes in Sweden or Germans in Germany or or French in France because uh, the population will have failed to uh, reproduce itself. Uh, Now, I don't believe that's going to happen. And the reason I don't think it's going to happen in the long run is because not everybody in those countries is failing to have replacement-level fertility. Replacement-level fertility means an average of 2.1 kids per per adult female. Uh, One to replace the mother, one to replace the father, and a tenth to replace uh, uh, infant mortality. And these countries have, you know, 0. 0.8, 0. 0.9, 0. 0.10. It isn't going to work. But the fact of the matter is, in these same countries, the people who are regularly attending church are having replacement-level fertility. Hmm. And so there's a very weird thing that could go on, which is to get, say you've got a religious revival in Europe based on fertility. The fact is that the... Uh, that minority who go to church regularly are going to uh, eventually uh, uh, outproduce yeah. Yeah. the secularists, and you will have Norwegians in Norway, but they'll only be the descendants of the churchgoers. Yeah. <laughs> what about uh, what about Muslims? You know, the thought is you know that Islam is really growing and Christianity isn't, and that's a myth. <laughs> Christianity is not only the largest faith. Uh, but it's uh, the fastest growing. And in most of the world, you know, we forget that uh, that sub-Saharan Africa has a higher percentage of regularly attending Christians than any place else on earth. <laughs> we also have overlooked that there's an enormous religious revival going on in Latin America. Latin America was always said to be Catholic, but it probably wasn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it quickly is becoming so. As the Protestants have come in and caused some competition, the Church has responded uh, uh, quite effectively. Uh, Latin Americans, Catholics, are going to church at a level never even thought of before, and much higher than anywhere else in the world. And when I mentioned this uh, to some friends who had connections to the Vatican, they were as surprised about it uh, uh, as I was. Uh, they also, uh, I, I've been able, very blessed to be able to work with something called the 
uh, the Gallup World Polls. Gallup is doing an annual national survey in each of 162 countries in the mm-hmm. world, which is a phenomenal thing. And adding them together for a few years, you know, you can figure out how many Catholics and Protestants and whatnot there are in each country. Sure. And my number of Catholics for African, sub-Saharan African countries are substantially higher than those claimed in the Catholic yearbook. Isn't that something? And, <laughs> and uh, again, <laughs> I sent word to the Vatican about this, and they said, well, we're glad to know, but we don't know why. <laughs> and then I heard from somebody that said, what's probably happening is the growth is so rapid that the priests uh, are not bothering to count. They're just busy baptizing people. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's probably what's, what's going on, and the growth probably is not any longer quite in the in the most settled areas, but it's probably more out in the sticks. In the outlying areas, and, yeah. uh, But uh, um, the Catholic Church is growing terrifically in, in Africa, so are all the Protestant denominations. Wow. Christianity is, is growing at a terrific rate. And, of course, there's China. Yes, uh, yes. You know, I mean, the Church is... The church, the Protestant, Christianity is growing a lot in China. Uh, it's... Well, my... My, my colleague Philip Jenkins, who's, who's with me at Baylor, did a book on the growth of Christianity in in the southern the southern hemisphere, so called, mm-hmm. although he's putting Asia in the southern hemisphere. But uh, <laughs> it's true. And Islam, by the way, is not growing nearly as fast. Hmm. And in Europe, you'd say, well, they're going to sit there and, and you know, and they're going to outnumber them too because of their high fertility. Ah. But fertility in the Muslim Muslim communities has fallen dramatically. Yes, um, Iran is now below replacement level for. I now. heard that. Yes, that's amazing. Yeah. Most people would be are Isn't shocked to hear that. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, you know, these things aren't all that clear. But but in any event, you know, Christianity is alive and well. It's not doing too well in 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 Oslo and Paris. It's it's doing pretty well worldwide. Yeah. Yeah, you know it's it is amazing to me because I I have the opportunity to sit here day after day and talk to people. It is amazing to me what uh, doesn't make the what doesn't get significant attention within the mainstream press, and I, I I can only think that one of the reasons for that is that uh, while they're interested in practicing diversity, by which they mean skin pigmentation and gender and sexual orientation, right. they're not interested in diversity of viewpoint. And so I have a suspicion no. that relatively few, you know, uh, observant Catholics and relatively few evangelical Protestants are actually working those newsrooms. Well, that's, that's true, but it's even worse than one thinks, because first of all, the fact is the, the, the overwhelming majority in, in the newsrooms and in the, in the editorial offices uh, are, in fact, uh, Irreligious, mm-hmm. okay. but the proportion is not nearly as high, uh, in fact, as it appears, because that, those religious people who are there, most of them keep their mouths shut. Uh, they've so they're private. They're very private about their faith. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's it's a very funny thing. Many many years ago, I was, I mean, many years ago, I was doing a book on the police. On the on and, the police. Uh, on the police, okay. and every once every where I went, there'd be an officer sneak up and says, 
By the way, I don't believe what all these other guys believe. <laughs> you know, these were the, uh, you, you might say, the liberal cops. Mm-hmm. Well, in the newsroom, these days when I, uh, I do press conferences or something, afterwards it's amazing how often a reporter will say, you know, I'm the only, I'm the only believer on, on, in the paper. But, uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't tell anybody. Uh, well, there probably were ten guys on that paper like him, and they weren't telling each other. <laughs> <laughs> same same situation. Yeah. Uh, what about mental health? Because for a long oh, yeah. time, the and again, I don't know if this was true among academics, but certainly at the popular level, you'd often hear it say it said that um, you know Christianity is for losers. Uh, it's for people who have uh, high insecurity, high anxiety, right. um, and you know it's good if, if you know if if it gets you through the night, that's fine. Uh, well, I'm going to respond by saying, first of all, on the loser part, uh, it's been found, and never reported, but it's been found again and again and again, that the more educated, the more affluent, the more you go to church. Hmm. Okay? Nobody hmm. seems to understand that, but, uh, uh, but the people who are in the religious services on Sunday are the best educated uh, people in the country. <laughs> Secondly, uh, in 2002, there was a book out summarizing a handbook on religion and health. It includes both mental health and physical health. It was a 1,200-page book, and it was giving about, oh, about six or seven lines to each study that had been done on the subject. Hmm. Uh, the new edition came out last year, and now it's 1,700 pages long. And the overwhelming burden of findings is simply in total agreement, study after study, religious people have better mental health. Wow. They also have much better physical health. Hmm. Now, this may not necessarily... You know, I talk about the financial contributions that religion makes to the society. Here, if you're concerned about the Medicare costs and Social Security, it may not be the best news that the people who go to church live on average seven years longer. <laughs> now, when you, when you correct that for clean living, it's still five years. Hmm. And the best explanation that people can come up with, it's the mental health thing. But the lack of stress, the, uh, the equanimity, if you will, simply contributes to life expectancy. Uh, no. this, is, this is amazing. I'm absolutely delighted you brought this material together uh, into one book because I don't, uh, well, I catch every once in a while, I catch you know, stories or wire service stories that, that indicate these various studies. I've never seen them brought together uh, and, you know, given some uh, exposition in the way that you've done it in this book, America's Blessing, How Religion Benefits Everyone, Including Atheists. Uh, let me, let's, let's go to something I mentioned at the very beginning of the program, and that's citizenship. Um, you often hear champions of secularism claim that uh, religion is inherently divisive and that uh, those who are citizens who are religious are not going to make great contributions to civil society because they're inward-looking. They uh, are focused on their family. They're focused maybe on their little church community, but they're not focused on society as a whole. And so they don't make good citizens. Plus, they're divisive. Well, first of all, you can find you know many aspects of citizenship, and you will usually find that... Uh, that's where the religious people are busy doing it, whether it's uh, 
getting out and voting and being registered or uh, uh, doing silly things like not littering and <laughs> putting out their garbage properly. <laughs> uh, you know, you can just go standing when they play the national anthem. I mean, that, that may seem trivial, but in fact, it isn't. Uh, in any event, the divisiveness in our society on religion, it seems to me, is largely between the religious and the irreligious, or or people who, who think they're religious but think that it ought to be kept, you know, very, very separate and, and, and very apart. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll tell you what, hold it there, Dr. Stark. We'll come back. We've got more time, and we'll talk more. Good afternoon. I'm Alex Preston. With me, Dr. Rodney Stark, the author of uh, 32 books, including most recently America's Blessings, How Religion Benefits Everyone. He's taken a look at a lot of the studies in the field of sociology of religion and began cataloging cataloging the various uh, social and psychological benefits of uh, religion and uh, the contributions that uh, religious people make to the community, religion being defined by somebody who attends a religious service once a week. You have a chapter here on intellectual life, and again, this is probably maybe more shocking uh, to people than anything else, which is uh, Christians are, uh, and religious people generally, have a vigorous intellectual curiosity and performance. Tell me more about that. Well, you know, it's, it's kind of an amazing thing. Uh, uh, even many, many really sincere Christians have written on the, you know, the the poverty of intellectualism in in, in church circles, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you sit down and look at real data, you find people who attend religious services are far more likely to read. They're more likely to read good books, serious books. They're more likely to subscribe to newspapers and magazines. They're more likely to attend concerts and plays. Um, They are uh, the fans of classical music. Uh, It just isn't true. So much of this perception of somehow the uh, anti-intellectualism of of Americans who go to church is based on some silly myths and on visits to so-called Christian bookstores. It's true, there aren't very many books in Christian bookstores because they're wrongly named. They're not bookstores, they're gift shops. Yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> you, you wouldn't expect to find very much in, in, in them. But the fact remains that uh, any poll data you look at, any kind of information you've got, the people who, uh, uh, who go to church are more likely to... Uh, uh, be consumers of high culture. They are also much less likely to believe in the kinds of things that a lot of people call superstitions, like Bigfoot and UFOs and ghosts and haunted houses and 
psychics and astrology and whatnot, <laughs> uh, religious people are much less likely to, to believe in these. And by the way, there is no educational effect as such. If you, if you don't want your kid to believe in those things, you send them to college so he won't, it isn't going to make any difference. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> but sending them to Sunday school will. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. You know, the one... We touched on something in the last segment I'd like to kind of close with. Sure. If there's a chapter that I left out of the book that I now realize I should have written, because it was off on a slightly different subject, is this whole business of tolerance yes. and conflict. You know, I started my career with a major, involved with a major, major series of studies on anti-Semitism. And as a result, I've always had a lot of contacts in the Jewish community, particularly with uh, uh, more conservative and with rabbis and, and religious scholars, of course, because of you know, my, my own background. But those are not the people who are offended by Christmas. Yeah, yeah. Secular Jews may be, but it's mostly the secular crowd, period. Hmm. Uh, and uh, there's no problem having all kinds of events in which uh, evangelicals and Jews and all kinds of people are coming together and having conversations. And at Baylor, you know, it's a Baptist school, but there are sure plenty of Catholics oh, on yeah. the faculty. Yeah, I know. So, I know a number of them. So. <laughs> you know, I mean, those, those those days are dead and gone. Yep. yep. And, uh, and, and, and the real conflict now is, uh, uh, you know, I mean, it's like the college uh, last month that, Cracked down on its students who were trying to raise money by selling Christmas trees and told them they had to stop calling them Christmas trees. They had to call them holiday trees. Unbelievable. Well, but they weren't holiday trees. They were Christmas trees. <laughs> and, not, and none of the rabbis I know had the slightest uh, concern about that. Yeah. That doesn't offend them at all. So, you know, you're going to put a, a Joseph and Mary and, the, and whatnot in display up on Public ground, put up a Torah too. I mean, we're not we're not for keeping religion out of the public square. Yeah, uh, and I I wish I'd written on that. You know, you've had a, you've had a, a very distinguished career in academia, and uh, I'm just I'm curious how did it how did it get to the place where it's generally assumed now that uh, you know the academy is one of the great engines of modernity. And uh, in secularization, how did that happen? I'm not really sure. I'm trying to figure it out because I'm writing my current book is how mass culture has destroyed taste and sensibility and intellectualism and everything yeah. else, including yeah. music. But um, I'm not really sure. But I think that there was this enormous shortage of professors after World War II, and particularly when the baby boomers hit. Mm-hmm. And a whole lot of people came in uh, and were rushed through, and um, they were a different style of person than yeah. had been coming into academia. Sure, before. sure. And there, there is, I mean, you're absolutely right about faculty lounges. If you want to find bizarre beliefs, yeah. go sit in a faculty lounge. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you'll hear things like uh, the Greeks stole their whole civilization not only from Egyptians, but from black Egyptians, because <laughs> we don't even know who black Egyptians were. But <laughs> right. Or how significant skin color was in the ancient world. I don't think it was very significant at all. No, but the fact is that if you look at, uh, at all the, uh, 
the murals and the in 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 the pyramids and whatnot. Uh, you have recognizable black slaves, and the Egyptians weren't black. Yeah, yeah. And in any <laughs> event, it's it's you know there's just you know if you want to find a whole bunch of people who believe that George Bush was responsible and hired people to crash those planes under the World Trade Center, you yeah. can just go sit in the faculty lounge and you'll find them. Find somebody, yeah. Yeah, it's, it is. It, it, it amazes me uh, that this is the case, uh, but I, it seems to be, uh, because I talk to many Christians who are involved in the academic world. And, and you know, uh, the, the religious universities were not spared this either. No, There are an awful lot of these people in Notre Dame and whatnot. Yeah, I know. I know. That's one of the great... There was a fellow, uh, James Burchill, who wrote a book years ago called The Dying of the Light, in which he looked at the way that uh, institutes of higher education uh, lost their their religious identity uh, over decades. And it's a a sorry story. It is. It is. And uh, I don't know. uh, I uh, was once offered a a job at a Catholic university, uh, unsolicited, and I wrote back, and in those days I was an agnostic, and I wrote back and said, I, I'm completely unsuitable, because um, I'm not only non-Catholic, but I'm not even sure I'm a Christian. <laughs> right. And they wrote back and said, that isn't no, that's no problem. Uh, <laughs> the chair of the department we're trying to recruit you for is the vice president of the American Humanist Association. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and I wrote back to the, to, to the provost of this Catholic university, and all I wrote back was, more's the pity. <laughs> Very good. Well, Dr. Stark, <laughs> hey, let me thank you once again. I've appreciated your work uh, in many of your books, and I thank you for being with me again today. I enjoyed it a lot. Dr. Rodney Stark is the author most recently of America's Blessings, How Religion Benefits Everyone, Including Atheists. And I let me say, uh, this... Uh, his work over the last oh, 10, 15 years now has been really one of the great bright spots of uh, Christian scholarship, uh, and at a popular level, too, I want to say. I mean, he's, he publishes at the highest levels in the field of sociology, and in particular sociology of religion, which is his general field of expertise. But he's also written over the last, uh, oh, ten, maybe it's 10 years now, he's written a number of popular books, uh, which are very accessible. And he and I have talked about a few of them here over the years. Uh, let me just mention The Triumph of Christianity, uh, How the Jesus Movement Became the World's Largest Religion. Fine, fine book. Uh, God's Battalions, The Case for the Crusades. The Victory of Reason, How Christianity Led to Freedom, Capitalism, and Western Success. Most recently, it's America's Blessings, How Religion Benefits Everyone, Including Atheists. But what you'll find is... Uh, I think I think arguably the best uh, the 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 writing which is most aware of the positive social consequences and cultural consequences of the Christian faith, and he's not at all ashamed to um, put that up front uh, in his writing. And I have to say, after during the era in which I was growing up, the impression we always had. Even in uh, even in church school, the impression always was that somehow uh, religion was a private affair, and if you made it a public matter, it gets dangerous. Uh, 
uh, you, you, people get divisive, people get intolerant. As time was going on, you know, it began to drawn on me uh, fairly early on that the Christians I was meeting, the Christians were intellectually astute, they were uh, socially tolerant and accepting, and uh, they were hardworking. And I'm, to this day, I'm still trying to figure out exactly how these wicked stereotypes of religious people developed and got repeated over and over and over again, such that uh, you now you still have people today writing about how religion is the source of. E- I mean, how many times have you heard somebody say that religion is responsible for more wars uh, and deaths uh, in the world than uh, any anything else? Now, on two grounds, let me just say how dumb that is. First of all, almost every society in human history up until roughly the 20th century with the Soviet Union, almost every society uh, was in some way a religious society. So no matter whatever deaths you had uh, in the past would have been deaths within a religious context. So first of all, Methodologically, it's a silly statement since virtually everything in, in uh, other pre-20th century societies, virtually every public act was done with some reference to religion, whether those were wars or the institution of banking. But then secondly, the other thing that's incredibly dumb about this is take a look at the secular experiments of the 20th century. And what you'll find out is that they were the bloodiest attempts to organize human societies that the world has ever seen. Yet, there's plenty of seculars for that, not Christians. <laughs> 